Welcome everyone to Dads of Daughters with Disorder or the Triple D Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to walk you through the diagnosis of Emmeline's urea cycle disorder and how I handled that and how it has affected my life for the last six years and will for the rest of my life. So it all started with a phone call. Um, we had Emmeline on a Wednesday and it was a great birth. It was a scheduled C-section and we showed up to the hospital they at the required time and my wife we went into the OR room and she was cut into at 706 I believe and at 713 Emily was born pronounced a born and alive um, I cut the umbilical cord we wrapped her in a blanket I snuggled her and held her close to Jessica's head while they sewed her shut it was a magical amazing feeling um, to be dad to not just one but two beautiful girls <clears throat> and we were definitely living on cloud nine we thought you know hey nothing nothing could go wrong we're this is the best our life's gonna get um, we, we went through the necessary hospital newborn screenings we did all the all the usual stuff that you do at the hospital and we got home Sunday uh, or Saturday either morning or late morning or early afternoon and Lucy, our oldest, had been with my in-laws, and so they brought her home so she could meet her baby sister, and they all wanted to come and spend time with the new baby, and of course we let them, and it was great, and just about, I remember it being about 20 minutes after we got home, 20 to 30 minutes, we uh, got a phone call from the hospital, and they told us that there was something wrong with Emmeline's newborn screening. They told us that we needed to leave right away and go down to Primary Children's Hospital to have lab work done on our, you know, four-day-old baby at this point. And so we did. Luckily, like I said, my in-laws were there, and they stayed with Lucy while Jessica and I went down to Primary Children's, which was about a half-hour drive from where we were living at the time, and went in and had the labs drawn thought nothing of it we came home we were sure we had convinced ourselves that it was just a bad test something went wrong when they stored the vials blood before testing or when they drew it blah 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 whatever it was nothing was wrong and so we went you know enjoyed family time went to bed that night and the next day my wife's good friend came up for a visit to meet our newborn baby girl and it was while she was there I remember she was still there. Uh, we got a, I got another phone call from the hospital, and it was a nurse or a lab technician or somebody in the medical field who, who said that her first labs had not been a bad draw and that she has a some kind of disorder. The lady, I remember the lady said that she wasn't even going to try and pronounce the disorder and tell us what it was, and that the genetic specialist team had seen and reviewed the results and wanted to meet with us the following day, Monday, at 8 or 9 in the morning. So we decided to go with um, 8 in the morning. I notified my work that I would not be there the next day, we got a, a next-door neighbor to keep an eye on Lucy, who is three years old at this time, and we drove a half hour back down to Primary Children's, and we walked into one of the scariest and biggest life-changing meetings I have ever had in my life. Um, the initial doctor's visit was it was overwhelming. I remember 
Dr. Hunter, um, I can't remember his last name now. Uh, it'll probably come to me later. He tried his best to dumb it down for us simpletons. And the man is a genius, and I have the utmost respect for him. But he, he was, it was so overwhelming, and just the shock of, knowing that we were going to be dealing with this life-altering disorder, not just for our daughter, but for us. It changed. It, we knew it was going to change our lives. Um, I was so overwhelmed. I had a hard time really focusing on what he was telling us and remembering everything that he talked about. I remember as he started to tell us, you know, this, this is the disorder. Here's how rare it is. Here's how it works. All of, he drew us little pictures and talked about it these different things about how um, genetics work and why this is a genetic disorder and I felt smart because I thought I understood what we were getting into and boy was I wrong. <laughs> um, the next feeling that I got rather quickly as we got just a few minutes into this episode was despair. I don't know actually if I've ever told my beautiful wife Jessica that. I was so full of despair and, and was ready to just give up on life. I, I I didn't understand, I didn't understand how or why this was happening. Why was this perfect, beautiful little creature who wasn't even a week old going to be facing this life of difficulty and headache and hurt when she hadn't done anything wrong? And then very closely following that feeling of despair was anger. I started, I got mad at at myself. And this is my fault. It's double recessive. If I wasn't defective, she couldn't have got a gene from me. And therefore, she wouldn't have this disorder. Then I got mad, even more mad at myself, when I realized that I couldn't fix this. But I'm a fixer. I always have been. Since, since the time I was little, ever since I can remember, I've, I've been a fixer. You know, and I fix uh, hard situations for people, difficult times with with humor i fix car i used to fix build model cars and and build these amazing things out of legos that yes they're really a thing they they were back then you didn't buy sets that showed you how to build them you just bought a massive tub with legos and built whatever the hell you wanted and i was good at it but i couldn't fix this this was not only was this something i couldn't fix for a long time this was something that was going to be beyond my understanding and it angered me. I felt weak. I felt inadequate. I felt like I was being punished for something I had done wrong. I felt like Emmeline was being punished for something I had done wrong. And I made me mad at God. It made me question a lot about God, about religion, about life, about everything. And the biggest thing I just kept coming back was to was this just boiling anger that I had at, at God. Because how could he let this happen? Whatever lessons he was trying to teach me or is still trying to teach me through all this, couldn't there have been an easier way? I spent the next, the majority of that, that about three-hour appointment with Emlyn's genetics team. And honestly, the next days, weeks, and even months, trying to come to grips with, with everything. I think in a lot of ways, I'm still trying to come to grips with, with this and, and, and to handle it. And put on a brave face and show the world that everything's gonna be okay. I'm terrified every day. I'm not gonna that that something's gonna go wrong. That I'm I'm not gonna keep good enough track of her medication or her protein intake for the day, and that she it's gonna be my fault that she's gonna die or with other unforeseen 
consequences of things like a new insurance company and the hassle of fighting to get her prescriptions in and whether they cover them and if I can afford them and if I can't afford her medication, she dies. Um, it's, it's scary and it's hard and it, it, it pisses me off all day long. After that, that three-hour appointment, Dr. Hunter, he asked us to have Emmeline's labs drawn again, specifically her ammonia. As I said, we'd had it done two days before on a Saturday to confirm that she really had this disorder. And her ammonia was at, uh, I believe, 80 at the time, which was high, but in the normal range. And So we did. We, we stopped down at the lab on our way out of the, the outpatient facility where Metabolics is at the Salt Lake Clinic. And had them draw her labs. And because it was now 11.30, 11.45, we had a half-hour drive home. I remember we stopped for burgers and fries and drinks on our way home so we could eat some lunch and then just go home and try and process and spend some time with Lucy. I just remember I wanted to go home and hug her and just make sure that she was really okay. I was worried that she somehow wasn't okay. I had no reason to think she wasn't okay, just this, just the shock and the the fear of what we just found out about our daughter, I suddenly became overwhelmed with fear for my oldest, who had never had any problems. And anyways, by the time we got home, that 20 to 30 minute drive from the hospital, we were just pulling into our, our driveway our, and parking when I got another phone call from the from our Emmeline's doctors. And they told us that Emmeline's ammonia had doubled in two days and that we needed to make arrangements for Lucy and pack an overnight bag and come back to Primary Children's and be admitted through the ER to Primary Children's Hospital while they figured out the right medical dose medicine doses and got the formula and everything figured out and if I thought it was devastating when I got that phone call the day before I was I was floored I was reeling I I really truly did not know what to think, what to, uh, how to act. I was in shock. Well, we did what, you know, we, we needed to. We spoke with our neighbor, Teresa, who was watching Lucy and told her, uh, this is what just happened. She said, oh, don't worry about her. I'm home all day. I'll take care of her. We can figure out a more permanent solution if we need to. She can spend the night, whatever we need to do. She's an amazing lady and a great friend, especially to my dear wife. And Jessica and I went in the house. We packed a bag. Put Emmeline back in the car and drove back down to the hospital and into the ER. And Emmeline's genetics team was there waiting for us in the ER. And they got us into a room quicker because, sorry, your kid has a broken arm. It's not life-threatening. High ammonia is. So we, we kind of have a fast pass through the ER for Emmeline. We don't wait hours in the ER. We cut the line. You know, as a kid, you're always like, oh, man, it's so cool. I got to cut the line, yeah. When you're cutting the line because your daughter has such a rare and deadly health condition, it's not cool anymore. It sucks. Well, so there we were in the ER, and they come in, and they put poker with the IVs, and they do two IVs, and it's because one IV is for the medication, both of the medicines they were giving her in IV form, and the other IV is was to pump her full of lipids, which are basically fat and sugar in this IV form that they pump into her to get her body to lower the amino acids or the ammonia in the blood. 
and we got settled into the ER and situated, and they moved us up a couple of floors and admitted us to the hospital. It was the first time I'd ever been admitted for one of my children. We were there for, for five days for that first initial hospital visit. My daughter, not even a week old, is now hooked up to IVs, having her heel pricked every two hours so that they can do laps <clears throat> and check her the levels. I feel like glucose was one and ammonia, obviously. And I don't remember all the ones they were checking at that, that time, but I just remember every two hours they came in and poked her for the first two or three days. Didn't matter, in the middle of the night, every two hours like clockwork. Came in and pricked her hill and drew some blood and went back and tested it. And every two hours, this four-day-old baby, five-day-old baby would scream and scream and wake us up or we'd already be awake or didn't matter. We did our best to comfort her and snuggle her and let her know it was okay. And she would scream every time, of course. So for the reason why we were there for five days was because... For one, they needed to get the immediate, the immediate threat of a hyperemonemic episode under control. And then once that was done, they, had, they started to play with the flow rates of her medication and the lipids to determine how much medicine and how often and how much protein and what formula to put her on so that we could get her off of her, med- her IVs and take her home from the hospital. Uh, Lucy at that time was with Teresa. I believe she spent that first night with Teresa. And then I drove back up and got Lucy and packed a bag and took her up to my wonderful dear Aunt Martha, who is amazing. And she and her husband Dan and Lucy, I think, will always have a very special connection because where we were living, they were our closest family who could jump in and help take care of us in our time of need. And unfortunately, they, we had to call on them quite often, and they were more than happy to do it, and they're amazing people. Um, so Lucy was there for all but that first day. She was with Martha and Dan, and after we'd been in the hospital two or three days, my wonderful mother-in-law, Marianne, came up to the hospital from Payson, which over that hour and a half, whatever it was, and came to just sit with Emily. Again, she's, she's not eating not hungry because she's being pumped full of sugar and fat and water you know saline solution a special saline solution uh, because the average one that most of us get hooked to if we're dehydrated or go to the hospital and need an iv fluid causes your ammonia to go up she couldn't have that one she's on a special one anyway so marianne came up and jessica and i took a few hours and met my aunt martha place called Station Park and we it's kind of a halfway point and we just got to spend time with our darling beautiful Lucy our three-year-old who she had no idea what was going on she just knew her baby sister was sick mom and dad were with her at the hospital and man this girl brought so much joy and such a dark time into my life she was amazing she we have pictures of it um she but Station Park, there's these brass goose structures, and she climbed on that goose and just rode it and waggled around and thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And we just, there was a playground there. We just played and spent time and tried to forget about the horror that was waiting for us back in the hospital. Um, so anyways, uh, after that, we, of course, Emily, Alice, or oh, jeez, Lucy went back with my Aunt Martha and... My mother-in-law went home, and Jessica and I returned to our very 
depressed existence, at least for me, at the hospital. At this point, I began to really sink in that this was a scary and a very life-changing ordeal. Um, I began to get depressed, and I began to have anxiety, which, as far as I can recall, I have never had anxiety about anything until this point. Um, I got so bad after we left the hospital that I started to have panic attacks from it and actually ended up passing out a couple of times. One time, I believe I was at work. I know I passed out at home a couple of times. And so here I am, supposed to be the man, the tough guy, the man of the house, the, the protector. And I'm passing out when I'm trying to leave for work and my wife's trying to take care of me and deal with that. So then, of course, I get more angry at myself and blame myself for being weak because I shouldn't be having panic attacks. I need to be strong for my life. And, of course, because of that, those panic attacks, I started to see counseling. Or we had been having counseling before. I don't remember. And the counselor had me taking some kind of antidepressant, not antidepressant, uh, anti-anxiety med or a muscle relaxer. I, I don't know what it was, but I was taking half a dose. And it was causing me to basically be like I was taking multiple oxys at a time. I just went loopy. And so, of course, I had to quit. I ended up losing my job because I couldn't function at work. I wasn't safe to drive. I'd missed a week, over a week of work without un, with unpaid leave. And I remember the meeting with work. The HR lady was just, she seemed like she was pissed at me, thought I was taking advantage of the system. But the manager, she looked me in my eyes and just told me she was sorry for whatever I was going through, wished me the best, and knew I was capable of great things and I think she was trying to encourage me at the time and at that time I didn't want to hear it I was just mad and looking back I'm truly grateful for her and what she did for me at the at that time and as well as at other times but like I said you know and then because my I lost my job not only can I not hack it and I'm a, I'm a wuss and I'm passing out and I'm getting mad at myself because I'm passing out and I'm making more work for my wife and I'm becoming depressed and I'm, ang I'm full of anxiety all the time, which was this new feeling I've never experienced in my 26 years of life, however long it was. Now I've lost my job. So, of course, I get even more mad, anger, and I get mad at God again. It's his fault I'm, I lost my job. It's his fault I'm having anxiety attacks over my daughter. It's his fault that she even has this damn disorder anyways. What is wrong with God. What is wrong with me? Anger at myself. At that point, it was so great. And I think it was at that point I started to contemplate suicide because I was so mad at myself and felt so worthless. I had failed my wife. I had failed my three-year-old. And I had failed my newborn daughter because I would given her the, her disorder. I would lost my job because I was having anxiety attacks. And I knew... She was never going to be able to know what it was like to enjoy a steak, to take her to Red Lobster for dinner when she wins the track tournament with her team or whatever might come our way. And along with my anger came a, sense, a much greater sense of hopelessness and despair. I despaired because now, like I said, I knew it was real. I despaired because I was failing as a husband, as a father, as a provider as a protector, as a fixer, as a man, I was failing. I was lost. I didn't know who I was anymore. 
I didn't know what to do. I didn't have anybody to turn to. When Emmeline was born, she was the only one in Utah and six surrounding states with ASA. How the hell was I supposed to survive? And now, as a man, I've always had a hard time talking with my feelings. The only reason why I can share these feelings in a podcast setting is because I assume that no one's actually going to listen to me. And really, it's just kind of therapy of I'm talking to myself on the walls. So that makes it okay. But <laughs> we, I didn't have anybody to turn to, which again, in turn, just all those feelings, the anger the, at God, at myself, at, at the situation, at the hopelessness, the despair, everything just continued to deepen and become worse because who could I turn to? Who, who had been through this? Oh, you know, good-willed, good-intentioned people pointed out, well, your, your father probably knows something of what you're going through. Your mom had breast cancer when you were a kid. Yeah, you're right. And, and don't get me wrong, back then it was a scary thing, and it's still, cancer's always a scary thing, and it's, it's not something to be mocked. But I think, I guess I won't ever know unless I'm put in a situation where, God forbid, Jessica has some form of cancer. But I think it's, it's just different. It's, it's, it's your spouse. Yes, it's terrifying. It's, it's scary, but it, it's not your child. It's different. So, for a long time, that was just it. I think I probably kind of wallowed in, in self pity, depression. I started to eat a lot because it was a comfort. I began looking at pornography a lot because it. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to turn back to drugs in my life. And that was a, a sense of release, a, a way to simply get away from all of the pain and the heartache and the suffering, the, the, the despair, the hopelessness that was inside of me, and at least feel something. And it wasn't right, and it was hard on my wife, and it, it made our relationship and our lives much more difficult. And it honestly didn't really help me cope with anything. It didn't do anything for me. It just... Instant gratification at the time that got gave me a hit of dopamine and that was it. And it, it was that was that was it. That was you know the diagnosis as I call this episode. Life was different from then on. It was harder. It was darker. Yeah, and the world felt heavier. My failures more complete. My self worth completely gone. I assumed my wife would leave me in a matter of months because I was worthless and couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't change. I couldn't fix anything.